Intellectual stimulations by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast, where we're coming to you live from Times Square, New York City, where we blow up the news on a verbal scale. My guest today, um, he's been around the block many, many years. You might have seen him as a boxer. You might have seen him as a kickboxer. He has multiple world titles, and also he's been a commentator. And from where I mostly know him from, a great actor. Um, you've seen a lot of dragons, you know, Bruce Lee, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, but I give you the one, the only, Don the Dragon Wilson. Don, hello. Hello, uh, it's good to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on the show, Don, and um, it's been a while um, just to get, to get the fans an update. What are you up to right now? Before I get started on your history, what are you up to right now? Well, I, uh, my day-to-day life is, is concerned with the, the, the next movie I'm doing, which is um, Blood Ray. And uh, I'm, uh, you know, right now putting the script together on the second draft, and uh, we've already hired the director, and um, I'm getting what they call letters of intent from the major stars that are going to be in the film, and this is uh, basically my version of The Expendables, you know, where they put all the B-list guys in one movie, yeah. action start, but we're going to have all the B-movie guys in my movie. Also, definitely going to uh, have yeah, Billy Blanks and... Really I said, so did you definitely going to have Billy Blanks, Cynthia Rothrock, right? Now look, this is all based on two things: professional availability. Uh, uh, let me get it right: professional availability and uh, successful negotiations of their contracts. <laughs> yeah. But you know that the idea of it, everybody's agreed on that we're all going to get together and do this big action movie. So um, we'll, we'll see which who we get. You know, I mean, I'm uh, most of these people are my friends, so I'm pretty sure they're going to come on board. Okay. Can you throw some names out there besides the names I mentioned? Who you? Are getting oh, or getting? Olivia Greer has already agreed. Um, let me see. Uh, Matias Hughes, Keith Vitale, uh, Lorenzo Lamas. Oh, gosh. Um, Richard Norton. Okay. Uh, Cynthia Rothrock, as I said, we mentioned before, she's already verbally said she wants to be part of it. Um, yeah, those are the guys that I'm thinking right off the top of my head that have already agreed. So um, you know, when it gets right down... To the casting, though, you know, some people may be working. Yeah. So, but, you know, and I, I don't fault them, you know, they're not going to get rich on my film, so I, I understand they have to go, you know, it is a business. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I don't want somebody to pass up a uh, paying gig for a dragon movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you also have a, um, uh, uh, definitely uh, interesting premise for the movie. Can you tell the fans out there what the premise is? Yeah, actually, um, uh, my character is a former SWAT unit commander who's now retired. He's teaching. He was, he's teaching at the academy. And um, so he's teaching a young group of cadets. And uh, they're at the police station. And I've got some of my other retired SWAT unit guys there with me as we're teaching them. And all of a sudden, there's an emergency situation downtown LA. There's been some explosions. And they believe it's a terrorist attack. And all available units go to the scene. I mean, everybody goes, the SWAT units, uh, all, all the police officers go. And so we're left, because we're retired and we're too old to go, they, they tell us, uh, we're left back at the police station. And all of a sudden, it comes in, there's a hostage situation, a jewelry, uh, there's a jewelry heist going down, the diamonds heist, and there's been hostages, life or death situation for the hostages. So we, since we're there, we were the SWAT unit, we decide to go take a van, load it up with vests and guns and everything, and go save these people. The 
because the other guys are all busy. They won't be able to do it now. As it turns out, that the um, terrorist attack was just a diversion. These guys wanted to steal the jewelry and get out, but they never expected for the former retired SWAT unit to be there. That, and that explains why we're a little older. Yeah. You know, we are older. You know, you wouldn't get me and Michael do the cops or Enzo Lamas and <laughs> all these guys. You know, that's a job for younger officers, I'm sure. Yeah. But in this case, it's going to be a great action sequence, and, and some of the students from the uh, you know the cadets are going to join us. So we got some young guys in it. And what happens is we chase the bad guys to the bottom of the building. They try to escape on the roof, but we blow up their helicopter, and they, they go down to the bottom of the building. And uh, I believe I can tell this. I mean, so far the, the producers have said, yeah, that's not it. We're going to advertise it. It's a, this kind of a movie, so I'm not letting the cat out of the bag. We go to the bottom of the building to the den of vampires. Wow. And the bad guys and the SWAT unit have to join forces to survive, to get out of the, out of the building. So all the action will take place in one building like Die Hard. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be a tremendous, like, 44 minutes of action they're planning right now. A minimum of, like, half the movie. The, the last act, third act, is all action. Uh, the bad guys and us fighting, and then the bad guys and us fighting the vampires. Wow, so it, is this sort of similar, like, from Dust to Dawn meets The Raid? Or well, that? everybody says that, and you know what? In some regards, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Because there will be a lot of tough, rough guys in this thing, you know, just like that one, it was like a biker bar type of a situation, yeah. and I remember they had Fred Williamson, and, and they did have some bank robbers, uh, Tarantino and uh, George Clooney, I think, were thieves, yeah. right, they were or something, but, um, yeah, it's going to be um, similar to that, because that was all action at the very end, too. Yeah, basically, the whole movie was a build, like, like if you didn't see the trailers, right. you wouldn't think the movie was about vampires. But, like, the whole movie was like a bank robbery and the cops were after them. Then it just did yeah, a whole like 180. a normal movie. Yeah. It was like a normal... And ours is going to be that way. There's going to be no tip-off. It, it, it just changes genre right in the middle of the third act. Yeah. And what happens is, once we're chasing them, one of the cops gets killed. And then we, we look at them, and it's kind of like Predator. Remember when one of the soldiers got killed, and they looked, and he said, wait a minute, the, you know... Gorillas don't do this. Revolution, you know, the guy was just ripped to shreds, and it's going to be the same thing. You know, a guy will have his arm ripped off, and they'll say, wait a minute, you know, what, what jewelry thief rips the guy's arm off or whatever? You know, I'm not sure what the wound's going to be, but it's going to be something that the vampires do that humans don't to each other. The same thing's going to happen to the the bad guy, the leader of the bad guy. He, he, something's going to happen to one of his guys as they're going down the corridors, and he's going to say, wait a minute, cops don't do this. So they'll start to, to realize early on that there's something going on, something in that building. Scarier than either of the two human groups. Wow, that, that, sounds, that sounds amazing, amazing. Is, but I mean, it's really, it's going to be a really action back Because you imagine if you're in a building and you're just trying to fight your way out, but the vampires don't want you, you know, they start jamming everything up. They just think figure out where you are, and they, they, don't, they don't want you to get out because they don't want to be found out. They've been, like, eating homeless people. Yeah. <laughs> so now you know, and they've been hiding of course you know vampires can't survive if you find out about them so they can't let these guys go and um, yeah it's uh, it's gonna be a good movie I mean you know all the guys uh, that are in it are gonna be action stars that have done 20 movies themselves they're all experienced they, know can, they can do 90% of their own stunt work so it's gonna move quickly yeah. and uh, it's gonna be all the guys that you watched in the 90s when, you're, when it was VHS yeah <laughs> Was it, is it everybody from the canon film era around, you know, how every actor did the oh, canon yeah, yeah. film? Oh, yeah, yeah, we've already talked to Michael Dudikoff, and, you know, um, he's definitely on board, and 
I even, I was with Jeff Speakman in Berlin, but you know, he's got a health issue, so Speakman is healthy. But look, you know, they had, um, in the first expenses, if you remember, they had Bruce Willis and Schwarzenegger come in and do cameos. They probably shot that out in just a few hours. It was just a, a speaking scene. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, at the second church. One, yeah. second one, they brought them in for action. Yeah. So we may have some guys that just appear. Yeah. Like I'm thinking Michael J. Or Michael J. Michael J. White mm. might end up being like um, the new SWAT commander, and he's down there taking care of what is a bogus terrorist threat. Yeah. So, and I would shoot him out really quick. You know, he wouldn't be out through the whole movie. He'd just be in one scene downtown L.A. You know, going through a building to check this. You know, with the bomb squad and everything. Because some bombs, what they do is they set off some bombs, yeah. and then they have somebody call up and say something like uh, "Praise Allah" or something. You know, yeah. and then uh, the cops just say, "Oh, it's a terrorist attack downtown L.A." So. Is it just a diversion so they can steal these diamonds? Yeah. But well, uh, then it takes a sharp turn and becomes a, a horror film. Wow. So you you even dropping the bomb of Michael Jai White as, in a cameo, that's excellent. And then you can have him, and, you know... Well, you know, I got him in SAG card when, you know, his first line of dialogue on film was in my movie uh, Ring of Fire 3, Lion Strike. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, he was a non-union actor and a director who had worked with him before said, Don, can I put Michael J. White in this as a favor? Uh, I want to pay him back. He did a movie with me. It was non-union. I'd like to get him a SAG card. I said, sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he got a SAG card in that um, film, Lion Strike, it was called. Oh, wow. That's a, that's amazing. I didn't even know that. You just, you just you just gave me some knowledge right there. Wow. Um, besides, you said, I know Jeff Speakman has health issues, but he could do a cameo himself as well, right? You can, is he really that sick? I didn't even know that. Well, listen, he had cancer, and I suppose he's in remission, so he's probably relatively healthy. But, you know, that doesn't mean he can do the fight action and all that, yeah. you know? I mean, I don't know what the situation is, but, but well, I will speak to him when we actually have the shooting dates. Because we're way out, we're only on the second draft of the script, so we're way early. You know, even, even my movies take sometimes years to make. Yeah. Literally, it, it, it's only a year, year and a half before we make the film. Yeah. Well, let's let's so look. The concept. Yeah, the concept. Yeah, well, I'm saying you're already on the second draft, so the third yeah. draft. Yeah, so the script will be ready. The script will be ready, but uh, that that's still, you know, everybody's schedule has to be free during those uh, months that we shoot, and then, uh, you know, the post-production takes a long time. Yeah. Well, um, let's just get, let's go back a little bit from when you first started. Like, how did you get, before I go into your martial arts background, how did you get into the acting field? Like, how did it all start for you? Well, the first one that was um, uh, from the industry that said I, I should try to be an actor was Chuck Norris. Uh, I met him in the late 70s, early 80s, and uh, he started going to my fights, and he would support my fights, and he would announce them, you know, for the TV, and uh, he was just really became great friends, and he suggested it to me. He's the first one from the entertainment business that thought I had a chance. He said I should uh, take some money that I make as a fighter, move out to L.A., and try to be an actor. Because he said it, it worked for him, you know. All these other guys were not fighters. You know, if, if they were not doing movies, you wouldn't know their names. And I'm talking about, you know, Pam Dam or Seagal or Jackie yeah. Chan. I mean, you know, I love their movies and things, but as far as martial artists, they, they would be totally unknown for what they did in the martial arts. Yeah. Now, Chuck and I, we were famous in the martial arts way before we ever did movies. Yeah. We were famous all over the world in the martial arts before we ever got on film. So we are a little different in that regard. Yeah, yeah definitely. And then, so so basically he told you, he just gave you the inspiration to go do it. And did yeah, you have... that was Chuck. He, he had done it. He was a fighter. Bruce Lee put him in a movie, and he used that experience to try to... Uh, 
you know, break into the business. You know, everybody's got their story of how they, they started their careers, and, uh, you know, I've got mine, Chuck, so yeah, everybody's different. Yeah. There's a million and one ways to break into Hollywood, and they're all different. Yeah. Did you have to get, like, an acting, acting coach? Did you do, like, the whole acting Oh, no, thing? yeah, I, I had to. I, I immediately, when I came to L.A. in 85, I, I enrolled in acting schools. I went to several acting schools, and I, I you know, uh, had an acting coach uh, for weeks before I did Blood Fest, because, you know, I'd never, been, I'd never been in a movie, and now I'm starring in a movie. So yeah, that's like a, you have to have a crash course, <laughs> and we went over every scene together, uh, me and my acting coach before I left. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, you know I'm pretty experienced now though. I've done quite a few movies. I've yeah, you've done like over forty five movies, man. You've, you've done a lot. Yeah. You know, I think about yeah, yeah, the first movie I probably saw you in was Blood Fist, where you know there's, there's a lot of sequels for Blood Fist. Um, how did you come about getting the role in um Jake Ray and Blood Fist? I, I came home one day and I hit my answering machine and said, uh, hello, my name is Roger Corman. I am casting a movie, uh, martial art movie. If you're the Don Wilson, the skateboxing champ, I'd like for you to come in and read for uh, the lead role. And so I um, showed up and as soon as the guest director saw me, he goes, oh, I apologize. He said, you know, this is for a Caucasian lead. We've already cast the brother. But he said, maybe you could be the bad guy. So I, um, I said, well, I didn't. What do I play? Let's just try and get in the movie business. So I, I auditioned, and he looked at me, I, and I did the scene one time. He looked at me and said, I'll be right back. He leaves the room, and he goes, Roger Corman wants to meet you. I, I'd never heard of Roger Corman, which is a lucky thing in hindsight, because had I heard of him and knew who he was, I'd be too nervous to, to do anything. Yeah. But um, I didn't know who he was, so I, I went into his office, and he asked me to tell, me, tell him about myself, and I did. He gave him a brief a history of my background. And then he wanted me to read with the casting director, and I read the scene, and he looks at me and he said, Don, you're going to become a big motion picture star. You're going to do this movie, and much, much later in your life, you'll be an internationally famous dramatic actor. And he goes, you leave in two weeks, and he handed me the script. Hmm. And that, that's the start of my career. Wow. So you pretty much... One, aud one audition, but you know, it was an audition with the perfect guy, Roger Corman. Wow, so basically your, your your big break, your career is pretty much old to Roger Corman then, basically, right? That was it. That was Roger Corman. Yeah, well, you know, he starred me in 12 movies. Yeah. Those scripts were written specifically for me. The movies were, you know, I mean, it was it, it, everything was geared towards making me a star, which it did. And then other companies offered me movies, and I did their movies, and they were successful. And, um, you know, as of right now, I've started 30 films, all 30 of them money makers. No, no money losers. I've never had a film that did not make a profit. Yeah. And not too many actors can say that, even the big ones. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Dom, what are the 12 Roger Corman movies that, could you remember off the top of your head, like right now? You mean, what were the names of them? Yeah, besides The Blood Fist. Well, um, let's see. Um, I did eight Blood Fists, and then other than that, there was Future Kick, Black Belt, um, gosh, you know, that's pretty hard to remember because eight of them were blood tests. Yeah. So, and so there was, there was Future Kick, Black Belt, what other, yeah. uh, gosh, I'm sorry, off the top of my head, I, I, I can't think, because, you know, I, uh, Red Sun Rising wasn't a Roger Corman movie, right? No, it was not. No, that no. was not. Um, that was for a different producer. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but I know Future Kick and uh, Black Belt were not. So that's ten of them. 
Okay. But there were some other ones, so darn, I wish I could remember which. You know, there's a shame because, I, I mean, I spent a thousand hours making things. and But, you know, we're going back 20-something years. Yeah, 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 of course. Of course. <laughs> Those movies... Even even with the Bloodfist movies, let me ask you about that because you played a character on Jake Ray in two Bloodfist films. Yeah, but... two of them was Jake Ray. But you know what they decided? They decided that, that, I, uh, that Bloodfist did not mean I was Jake Ray. In other words, Bloodfist meant John Wilson is in it, and there's martial arts in it. Yeah. That, that's what Bloodfist meant. You know, Roger kind of got away from the idea that it was, um, you know, all Jake Ray. Yeah. Cause, yeah, I noticed that because after, after part two, you started playing different characters, you know, from the, the Bluff, even though it was, you know, it was Don Wilson, but you always played different, it was different characters, because I thought, even, like, no, the other no, movies. They were not, no, they were not the same character, but basically, Bloodfist didn't mean it was Jake Ray. Bloodfist meant yeah. Don the Dragon Wilson is in it, and it's a martial arts film. Yeah, that was pretty much it. Basically, to the point, right, Don Wilson's in it, and, you know... It's, it's almost like almost like the Bloodsport movies where they had like different characters, or I should say the Kickboxer when they switched up around. You no, know, I remember two of the movies that I did for Corman that we didn't talk. Uh, one is called Catholic Conspiracy, and the other is called Operation Cobra. Operation Cobra. That's, yeah. Oh, that's they were right. Not yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Operation Cobra was shot in India, and um, Catholic Conspiracy was shot in Los Angeles, but uh, it was not a blood test. Oh, well, did, um, did you get your SAG card for Blood Fist, or was it... Yeah, yeah, the very first one. I mean, I, I was already SAG eligible. I had done a commercial, yeah. a um, national TV commercial, and um, so I was SAG eligible. Then when I did Blood Fist, I, I joined the union. Ah, okay, okay. And with these movies, we're rolling out, like, clockwork, because you was doing these movies almost back-to-back. Like, once you did the well, first... Look, I, I, at one time, I had um, Entertainment Weekly come and do a story on me, because... I had released on domestic home video five movies in 13 months. Wow. Five. And they, and all successful, by the way, all money makers. And to their knowledge, up until that time, I believe this was like around 94, uh, they said no other actor had ever done that. They had, had five movies released, all the same genre, too, martial art action films. Yeah. All, all successful. Well, first of all, actors don't want to do that because, you know, you do one movie a year, two movies, and that's how you extend your career. You do five movies in one year, you're <laughs> you're in danger of ending your career. Yeah. Well, you know, a couple of money losers and, you know, a couple of bombs, but, you know, it was just pure luck. I mean, I, I tell you, I was there when the videos just first started and people liked the movies and they understood that they were not, you know, $100 million movies, but they understood it. They just wanted to see a good story and good fight action. Yeah, exactly. And, the and thing that's they did. Yeah, and the thing is, with your movies, they were, you know, even I remember watching your movies, they were accessible. You know, you could go to the, you know, Blockbuster or your neighborhood video store, and you had a Don the Dragon Wilson movie right there. You had Ring of Fire, you had either Out for Blood, or, you know, any one of the Blood Fist films, and, you know, saw you on the cover, you know you're going to be satisfied with the action, you know? Yeah, you know, there's going to be fight action there, there's going to be some martial arts, yeah, you're going to you're see there's going to be a good guy and a bad guy, and the bad guy's going to lose at the end. And if there's a pretty girl, that's just even more gravy on the, <laughs> the movie. You get, a, get to look at a pretty girl. <laughs> yeah. So that, that just happens. Although they were not love stories, so, you know, they, they were not. <laughs> they were not love stories. But, but still, you know, they, they did have, you know, a pretty girl in the movie. Yeah, that's true. So that was all part of, you know, these movies, MGM did a kind of a survey, the very first movie I had, and they said the people that watch these type of movies are young, urban, ethnic males. 
That's the audience I played to. Yeah, that's the, the bulk of the audience. Yeah. With young, urban, ethnic males. And by young, they mean, you know, 15 to probably 22. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's true. Especially or, even in, in the city, like, you know, I live in New York City, and all we did was watch, like, martial art movies. Either, yeah. on, you know, we had it on Channel 5, or, you know, you go to the video store, rent a movie, or get a Billy Blanks movie, get a get a Don, Don the Dragon Wilson movie, and, you yeah, know. Yeah, and they were cheap, too, as I recall. I believe they were, like, two bucks. There's a lot less than going to a movie theater. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, because one person could talk down that two bucks or two fifty or whatever it was, and then eight people could watch it. Six people, four people, three people. Yeah. You know, whereas going to a movie, everybody's going to buy a ticket. Yeah, going to the movie, you're spending so, over $100, especially if you buy food and you're going with your kids, you know? Yeah, the, well, the food is where the theaters actually make their money, you know? It's not selling the tickets. Yeah. The tickets are not where the money is, but the theaters, the, the, the food is. Yeah. Yeah, that is true, that is true. Um, um, Don, um, I was going to ask you, um, from the other movies you've done, um, is there any roles that hold a special place in your heart or any any film that... that you know, you put a you know, you know, right on top of your list, above and beyond the rest. Well, the, usually I get asked, you know, which did I enjoy making, and and I enjoyed the Lion Strike because my son was five years old and he played my son in the movie, yeah. so I was able to. Whereas normally I never see my family for like a month while I'm on the set, uh, I was able to work with my son who was five years old every day in the, on the movie set, and uh, that was kind of enjoyable. I, I had only I've only done that once, and it was it was a lot of fun. So Lion Strike's one of the ones I, I really like. That was the, the third in the Ring of Fire series, Ring of Fire 3. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's when you was on um, Dr. Johnny Wu, right, I believe? Dr. Johnny Wu, yeah. and I had to fun, and, uh, yeah, uh, Bobby Phillips was in it. Uh, she was the female lead. Uh, Maria Ford got killed off. <laughs> she died in a car crash. All my wives died in car crashes <laughs> hit by drunk drivers. <laughs> yeah. Please. That's my little statement against drunk driving is uh, all, all the dragon's wives, his characters, uh, they die in car crashes. Yeah. Whatever happened to Bobby Phillips? Is she still she's still around, right? Yeah, I just started just a few weeks ago. We're, we're actually, she's going to be in this vampire movie, I'm hoping. Oh, and wow. She's available. Yeah, yeah, I was just with her at a charity event about, gosh, I guess it was about a month ago. Yeah. And it was in uh, Milwaukee. Wisconsin? Yeah, oh. it was in Milwaukee. Oh, wow. I haven't seen her. Oh, it's wow. coincidence, though, because I hadn't seen her in years. I had not, she went to live in South America. Her and her husband opened a uh, hotel, and then they sold it, and they moved to, I believe, Toronto. And then she made, uh, she just finished a vampire movie in Toronto. And, um, yeah, she supports this anti-bullying uh, charity, and I did. So we just coincidentally, we were both at the same place at the same time. Oh, wow. That you did, because when you said Bobby Phillips, it just took me back, because I remember seeing her, you know, she was in a lot of films, too, in the 80s, too, and 90s, too. Well, um, Ron, I was going to ask you, too, um, now I'm just going to go back a little bit in your kickboxing career. What made you decide to be a kickboxer, and, you know, what made you decide to, to, to get into that field before getting into acting? My brother was the first uh, kickboxing promoter in the state of Florida. He promoted the first fight. Yeah. And that was at Orlando Sports Stadium in uh, Florida. And uh, he asked me if I would fight, and I thought, yeah, it'd be great. You know, we've been doing all this, uh, what they call point fighting in those days, you know, 74. And then to actually be able to hit somebody seemed to me like the difference between touch football and tackle. 
you know? Yeah. So I wanted to do the real thing. I wanted to test myself as a martial artist. Um, so I actually started uh, kickboxing not to be rich or famous or anything, just to improve my striking abilities yeah. and my defense against strikes. And sure enough, you know, after a period of time, I started making some good money, and then it became my profession. And now I could, could say it's not my profession anymore. I mean, making films is, but it is my passion now when I have a free couple of hours, I run right to the gym and hit the heavy bag. I, I never get bored with doing that. I love it. Wow. It's amazing, though, like nowadays, you know, you could have, you know, some people have one particular passion. You had two passions, and you accomplished both passions. So um, I, I guess, you know, you know, you, you from starting to kickboxing and starting some movies, you achieve both things that you wanted to do, but which one has a more of a personal place in your heart? Was it more of the kickboxing or the film for your films? Definitely the kickboxing. I mean, the, the movies is a job. That, that's me, you know, I'm doing a job. Paying the bills, yeah. As an actor, yeah, right. That's a profession. But the kickboxing was just fun. It was a, um, you know, I just had a great time being a kickboxer. People ask me, do you miss it? I said, every day. Every day. Um, you know, I, I would love to. In fact, as a matter of fact, last year I signed a fight. I signed a contract, and they paid me to do the press conference. I flew all the way to Istanbul to do the press conference. The fight was going to be in Istanbul. This was in March, and the fight was going to be in September. But as it turned out, the promoters did not have all their money in place, and there's no way I'm going to fight for free, so that was the end of the fight. Oh, man. But I signed, I signed a fight last year. Now, I'm the only six-year-old guy that should get in the ring. <laughs> oh my god I think you still want to fight even you know even though like you know, you know uh, I, I tell people I'll fight in the parking lot if they got cash <laughs> but mercenary man I, I spent 28 years of my life fighting yeah. that was the way I made my living and I, I tried to explain it to people I said it's like being a concert pianist yeah. and all of a sudden they take the piano away I mean you know you still want to play the piano right I mean you still yeah. uh, you you wouldn't have done it if you didn't love it, right? Yeah. So now, now they say, no, you can never touch the piano again. That's it. You're done. And like with me, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, now you can never step in the ring and fight again, never compete again. Yeah. Never get that thrill, that feeling. And, um, you know, can't help it. Fighters don't really quit. Yeah. They quit getting offered money. Or they fight and they get their rear ends handed to them, and no fighter likes that. Yeah. You know, fighters like winning. We don't like losing. Yeah. I can hear it in your voice that you still want to do it. I detect, like, like you know, you, you miss it. I, I can tell that you miss it. Yeah, well, uh, I'm not the only one. Uh, all of them, they keep coming back to they get their rear ends handed to them, don't they? Yeah, that's definitely well, true. Almost always. They just keep coming back until... <laughs> yeah, well, what was... Until what? they get beat up. Yeah, I was like, when, when was the where, where, when what year did you win your first title in um, kickboxing? 1980. I won the WKA World Kickboxing Association's light heavyweight title in um, 1980. 1980. 1980. Okay. Yep. And was it was it was it from winning your first title did. Did it, it change you? Did it made you want to just keep going more and more, you know, going to different weight classes? Yeah, it felt really good. I, I mean, I, I like, uh, you know, the first title I got, I guess you got to say as a fighter, you know, I ended up winning 11 world titles, but the first, and I'm in the Guinness Book of World Records as a, uh, you know, 
11 world titles, no other kickboxers have done that. But um, the first one was the one that really is most memorable to me. You know, at a certain point, I wasn't fighting for the belts. It was just money, the opponent, the competition. I mean, it, it, the belt was just something they handed me at the end of the fight, but, they, you know, it didn't mean anything to me. It didn't have meaning. The first one did. I felt really good. It felt like uh, I had, you know, set a goal and I reached it. Oh no! And but with the with the whole kickboxing kickboxing aspect of it, well, you was getting paid good as well too, right? Because the winner's purse was pretty hefty. Am I right? Or well, uh, it was the same as the losers. I mean, uh, in, in other words, you don't get paid to win or lose. Yeah. You get paid to fight. Oh, and I okay. got to be a per- pretty you know big fighter. I mean, I was a, I'm a high paid kickboxer even to this day in history mm-hmm. for one fight. So you know, I, I got 150 thousand to sign the contract just to sign the paper. And 12% of the gross pay-per-view revenue uh, from Viewer's Choice when I came out of retirement. And that was in 1998, I believe. Yeah. And um, although they get good money in the K-1, the heavyweight tournament, mm-hmm. you got to win three fights. So, you know, that's the, you know, I, if I was getting three fights, they'd be way under my pay scale. Yeah. <laughs> they did end up making, a, you know, in one night more than I did in a fight. But, um, you know, they got to win three fights, like I said, so... And, and um, and making the transition from kickboxing to boxer, since you was a kickboxer, what made you decide to be a boxer? Like, how did that come about? Well, I didn't want to be a boxer. I only did that a few times as a training, just because it forced me not to be able to kick. So I had to work my hands. I had to put the training. It really never was a um, actual, no career goals or anything. I mean, I never aspired to be a boxer, and, I, and I'm not a very good boxer. I've got my left eye was had some. Uh, you know, I had astigmatism, and I and I and my boxing trainers always try to get me to fight orthodox because I'm right-handed. Yeah. But see, I don't do that with kickboxing. I fight mostly southpaw. Oh, okay. But um, but yeah, the, so you know, it was not a good sport for me. I think well, let me think. My final record was six and three as a pro boxer. Yeah. But I did. It did really help me in kickboxing. Though I will say, because I could throw no kicks right, and I was in front of the guy, and I had to fight with. Even though I felt like, I mean, believe me, if you're fighting a boxer and he's winning, you feel like you're on that sidekick. Because <laughs> you can blast him across the ring. But, uh, you know, it was illegal. So I was forced to use just my hands. And that was a good training method, but it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a career choice in a boxer. It was just training. It was just training? Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and I just, they happened to pay me to do it, but, but that was all right. You know, I didn't mind do that. that was like I was getting paid to spar. Because I didn't really, it was not like going on my kickboxing record. Didn't have anything to do with kickboxing. Yeah, I don't know. you was you was kickboxing for a definite long time. Then you made that transition, and you won a. Um, I, I like, kickboxed for twenty years. That's, that's longer than I think just about anybody. Yeah, you know, I, I turned pro in seventy four. I had my last fight two thousand two. Mm-hmm. And if I had fought last year, well, then I would set the record for the all end of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I started in seventy four. And, and in 2013, still be fighting. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. I'm saying, but you would yeah, that'd be 40 years later. Yeah, you you would definitely come out of retirement now if the money was right, right? If you had a, a oh, good oh, absolutely, absolutely. And the money wasn't that right in Istanbul, but it was okay. It was okay money. Yeah. So, you know, if they had some real money, I'd be there tonight. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm ready. Oh man, you ever thought about? You know, they didn't have UFC back then, but have you ever thought of the UFC in, you know, at your well, prime? I would have been better at that. That's actually the sport I would have been the best at because 
of all the sports that I've done, wrestling was the best because I, 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 I walked onto a wrestling mat having never wrestled, got a scholarship, and my second year I was fourth in the state of Florida intercollegiately against all colleges. And um, you know, I was the MVP of my high school football team, MVP of the high school basketball team. I didn't wrestle in high school. Um, but I, I did it in college to pay my way to get through junior college. They didn't have a football team, and the basketball team was already picked. So I just wrestled for two years. And I, I did good. I, I really picked up wrestling fast. So I'm sure submission, jiu-jitsu, the, the art of submission, I would have picked it up really quick and easy. It would have been very natural for me. And I already have striking, so... Have you ever thought I about? I liked it. I definitely had fun doing it because you know it's it's um, similar to what I did, punching and kicking. And then they had some wrestling, and I wrestled too. You know, I wrestled two years in college. Wow. You ever thought so about? Like... Yeah, I was gonna say. Have you ever thought about getting into professional wrestling since you was doing amateur wrestling? No, no, no. I never... <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, you definitely would have to, like, bulk up more, and, you know, I think you risk more injury that way, so, you know, but I'm sure you got injured quite a few times doing kickboxing as well, though, right? What was your most extensive injury that you had during kickboxing? Well, probably the most dangerous was, um, I had a ruptured esophagus once. The guy hit me in the chest with a knee, and so it crushed my chest, collapsed, and the air was forced out to literally just tore a hole in my esophagus. Oh my god. And I was in intensive care, yeah, I was in intensive care for gosh, about a week and a half. Oh and then they finally let me out of the hospital. They were worried about infection, but it did not get infected, I was okay and didn't have to have an operation that healed on its own. And uh, yeah, but that's pretty dangerous. Oh man. Yeah, but you you know, you're you had no side effects from that, right? Everything was okay after that? Yeah, as far as I know, I'm doing okay. So I, I would say the, the long term injury that really did affect me and does affect me is I did a movie, well, the movie uh, Lion Strike, I, I did a fight scene in an ammonia factory and I burnt my lungs. The ammonia went into my lungs and, uh, yeah, I think I scarred and burnt my lungs up. I don't think they work uh, like they used to. Oh, my God. The, 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 yeah, they, they were, for, for a long time, they, they thought they were going to have to give me steroids to heal because I, I had, like, congestion in my chest and um, it was not a cold or anything. It just, it just lasted for, you know, Weeks and weeks, months, or I don't know how long, but for a long time, I had like uh, fluid in my lungs. Oh my god! Yeah, you know, because you're breathing heavy, and it's a, and, you know, ammonia is what they used to kill people in World War One. Yeah. You know, and I, I was like breathing it, doing a fight scene. Oh. Who, and uh, yeah, it was damaging. It was, it was. I actually damaged my um, lungs in that movie. Did anybody get in trouble for that? Like, who who was liable for that? No, no, they, they had medical people there, and they had EMTs, and they told us, you know, we were all aware of what, what dangers were involved, but we just wanted to make the movie, and, you know, I just, uh, I'm very reluctant to sell it to but I mean, I did it with my, you know, knowing full well that it was a dangerous thing to do, to breathe that air. Yeah. God. I was going to ask you too um, from your movie history I, I didn't realize you was in Batman Forever you know what I'm saying like how how did you I, got that small I, role oh 
To this day now, in hindsight, what do you think about Batman Forever as opposed to the other Batmans that they have now in the movie that's coming out now? What was your take on Batman Forever? Well, here's what they, here's what they did. Uh, Tim Burton did not make him have any color. And Joel Schumacher said, hey, the first thing he did when he opened up a comic book, it says, saw these beautiful colors. Mm-hmm. And he goes, so we're not being faithful to the comic books, he said. I think if it's a comic book, we should add color. So if you think about it, the first two were dark. Yeah. And what they ended up doing was, you know, they did Batman and Robin afterwards, and, and that one flopped. And no one knew what to do, so they said, well, let's take it in a different direction. Let's go back to what Tim Burton was doing and just make it darker. And that's what they did. They made it a little more for an older audience and a little darker, yeah. everything. So. I know. If you notice Tim Burton, most of his movies are always dark. I think he just likes the gloom, you know. It's it's all emo, yeah. you know. It was like they are, emo they're, Yeah, they're... they're um, Absolutely right. It wasn't the penguin that I remembered, you know. It wasn't like the Burgess Meredith era, you know. It was he was eating fishes and he had black tar coming out of his mouth. It was just yeah, he was nasty looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was weird. It was weird. But um, did you, did you think Joel Schumacher messed up the franchise, or you think it was Tim Burton? Or again? no, 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 no. Joel Schumacher didn't. He, he looked, the one he did first, the Batman Forever. First of all, he brought comedy to it too, big time comedy. He had Jim Carrey there, yeah. who was. Like one of the hottest, if not the hottest guy at the time. Yeah. And uh, so it was kind of funny, full, and inventive, and different, and oh, people liked it. People liked it. And they just, you know, fumbled the football with the next one, the Batman and Robin, when I was involved in that in any way. But um, I didn't see parts of it, but um, and that one did not perform well. Yeah. And that's why they went a different direction. Yeah, they, they totally did, you know, like from, you know, I don't know if you've seen the Batman and Christian Bale, the Christian Bale version of Batman, but, you know. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen them, they're completely now for an older audience, especially with that last one, that, that Joker is really a scary character, that's not for little kids. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's scary to us. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. a Hannibal Lecter type, you know. Yeah, exactly. That that movie was more, in a, you know, Batman with the costume and everything, but if you see that, the movie without... Looking at it as a comic book movie, it was a very dark, very, you know, very, yeah. it was a very intense movie. You know? Yeah, it was. Definitely. Have you ever thought about doing any superhero movies? Any, you, ever, you ever got approached to oh, do I, any? I, I did, I did a um, uh, movie called Liberator. Liberator? And uh, it starts uh, me. Well, actually, the real star is Luke Wright, oh. He is the, quote, the Liberator. And I'm one of his guys. So it's me, Lou Ferrigno, Michael Dorn from Star Trek, uh, yeah. Peter Wilson... 
don't know if you remember her, she's an Australian actress, she had a show called... Uh, Femme Nikita, yeah. Femme Nikita, right, and then, um, uh... Tara Cardinal is the other girl. She does a lot of action movies. She's the other female lead. And uh, let me make sure I get everybody. Oh, Ed Asner. He plays president. Oh, wow. And we did a, yeah, you could go online. Just uh, go to YouTube and put Liberator. Oh. And uh, a little trailer should show up. But it was a um, kind of a pilot for a TV series. But, uh, you know, I don't do TV, so I don't know get picked up or if anybody will ever redo it or reboot it or do it but it was uh, it's about a bunch of superheroes so that's the closest I've done to the superhero is uh, Liberator well, what was what was your character that you played gosh let me think what his name was it was, had something to do with a, a snake um, let's think about the name of the snake um what was it what, what is it? Sidewinder Sidewinder my character's name was called a side his name was Sidewinder Oh, what, what, what powers did you, the Sidewinder have, or what did, what did you have in that? Um, I, I could fly, I had, um, gosh, what did I have, I didn't have lightning bolts, I had, um, uh, I think, oh, I could shoot something out of my hands, I think, I think, you know, it was a few years ago, a couple of years ago, um, and I only worked on it for one week, you know, I, I took one week for, for my character to shoot his scenes, or to shoot my scenes, um, I could fly, I had superhuman strength, I did shoot something, I, 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 yeah, I think I shoot shot bolts of lightning. Hold on one second, you know what I'm going to do? I, I'm right in front of the computer, it only takes a second to put Liberator. Sure. Um, up there, then I can see what my powers were. Liberator, uh... I guess he's the Liberator movie. Yeah. Because it was a short. Wow, but Lou Ferrigno, wow, I don't even remember that. Yeah, Lou Ferrigno. Um, Liberator movie here. It's 18 minute short film. Uh, oh, gosh, they're, they're selling this thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you better you get your residuals. LiberatorMovie.com. LiberatorMovie.com? Right, I'm, I'm definitely going to check oh. that out then. LiberatorMovie.com, and you can see, uh, they're, they're actually selling this, uh, thing that I did. <laughs> well, uh, I know, well, you, you better see a check from that. Uh, I don't know, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just I do it for the money, I, I just, you know, some things you do for fun, I mean, yeah. yes, it's fun to be part of these things, I mean, I'm a big fan, I've been friends with for for years, but I'm a fan of Peter Wilson and Michael Dorn, uh, I think he's a great actor, yeah. um, and I, I don't do TV. It's the first time anybody even asked me to do anything. I remember do seeing it. I remember seeing you on Moesha, though. I was like, oh, my God, Don the Dragon yeah, Wilson. Like, well, listen, here's the strange thing about that. <laughs> uh, the guy, the writer that wrote my episode, yeah. the reason I was in it, because you know, writers rule TV. You know, writers are the producers. Yeah. So the producer who wrote that episode is the guy that wrote the script, Blood Ray. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, when you work with the dragon, I got a long memory. I, I He had not done a movie. He has not written for movies or produced a movie, but um, this will be his first one. He's writing the script Blood Ray. He's working on it. He's all right on the... His name is... Um, I'm not sure get his name right. Um, yeah, James E. West, because, you know, it's you got to put the E in there, because uh, if you IMDB, you'll get his information. James E. West, um, 
worked on Moesha, and that's where I met him. Yeah. He wrote an episode for me years ago. How many years ago Moesha was on? was a while, right? Yeah, like in 96. And so. uh, he's writing the script of the movie I'm doing next, Blood Ray. Oh, wow. And of course, you know, I've got a movie called uh, White Tiger coming out in November at the American Film Market. Yeah. And then um, The Martial Arts Kid will come out theatrically next year. Yeah, yeah, The Martial Arts Kid. Yeah, I've, I've been seeing a lot about that on your Facebook. Can you, can you tell the audience yeah, out there? Yeah, very uh, strong anti-bullying theme film for kids. PG-13. Yeah. yeah, and that's with Cynthia Rothrock as well? Yeah, Cynthia, um, TJ Storm, Zenith, uh, Jansen Penetary, um Matthew Ziff. Um, Catherine Newton the great cast Michael Baumgarten wrote and directed it produced it my brother's one of the producers Cheryl uh, Wheeler is one of the producers a good friend of mine former kickboxing champion Cheryl Wheeler yeah. can you give a little brief synopsis of what the movie is about so people could see it it's about it's very similar to the Karate Kid story it's a kid that yeah. um, he's kind of like a, not a juvenile delinquent but he's kind of going the wrong way his mother and father are both dead and uh, he's being raised by his grandmother, and he's kind of wild, and he gets arrested by the police, and ends up, grandmother sends him to Florida to live with his aunt and uncle, which is me and Cynthia Rothrock. Yeah. And, of course, he enrolls in the Kung Fu school that we have. He learns martial arts, he learns discipline, he kind of straightens himself out. But he, in the meantime, he falls for this girl. Now, her boyfriend that she broke up with is an MMA fighter. And MMA fighters don't necessarily learn all the traditional honor, respect, and when to use martial arts and when not to. He basically learns how to beat people up and he becomes a bully. He's got kind of a little gang of God bullies with him. Yeah. And he starts bullying the, quote, martial art kid. Yeah. And, of course, the kid ends up winning the day, and I don't want to give away the ending, but yeah. these are happy endings for these movies. <laughs> yeah. Everybody knows that. When you, when you watch a movie like this for kids, you know there's not going to be anything tragic. Exactly, you know, and I'm, I'm glad how you put it out, the martial arts kid, not the karate kid, but the martial arts kid, you know. No, it's martial arts because we're including everything. Yeah. Karate, you know, everything. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, you can go to Facebook and just go to the martial arts kid on Facebook, and you can see the Facebook page, and it's got a lot of information there. Yeah. Did you do something with the martial arts kid in, in, um, in um, New York? Was there something going on in New York? They, they may have shot... Uh, they shot some plugs, I think, but those plugs weren't for the movie. That they were for the Kickstarter program. Ah, okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, they raised one hundred fifty thousand dollars for the Kickstarter program, and that money enabled them to shoot for a week in Florida, because we wanted to shoot uh, in a small beach town, but we didn't have the budget to shoot in Florida. So my brother, uh, you know, they were just going to shoot it in Los Angeles, but fake it like it's a small town. Yeah. But my brother wanted to shoot in Florida, so he went on Kickstarter. We raised the money. Actually, we asked for 150 and got 174,000. I believe the numbers. Wow, so we got more money than we asked for, and then we were able to shoot in Florida, and it really looks good. I'm very happy that it worked out that way. Wow, sweet! Can't wait to see that. Definitely can't wait to see that. Also, um, tell me a little bit about Roger Corbin, since you know you you know you grant him for you know, giving you the career that you have, what could you, anything you could say about Roger Corbin? One of the things that really stand out for me is the fact that, you know, he's so easygoing, he's a very intelligent man, you know, and we, you know, he's, we're similar in some ways, I was an engineering major in college, and he was an engineering major. I mean, he started out as an engineer, he was going to be an engineer, and he ended up being a producer, and I started out as an engineer, and ended up being a kickboxer, 
So we we all got we both got sidetracked. But um, so he's a very intelligent man, and one of the things that really stands out is his personality. He's he's like a Zen master. Nothing upsets him. He's just you know, seen it all, done it all. He's probably produced a thousand movies. So there's nothing that can happen on a movie set he hasn't seen a dozen times. <laughs> and dealt with it a dozen times. And um, I don't know, he's just um, a good example of um, not just movie making. Because, you know, James Cameron came from Corman. He got his first job with Roger Corman. Yeah. And he ended up directing his first film, which was Piranha. And then um, uh, he was head of production for Roger Corman. Yeah. He went from Piranha to head of production. So James Cameron even learned from Roger Corman. Oh, uh, he just, um, they're one of the premier guys, I think De Niro, Nicholson, all those guys, and they couldn't get a job. Um, they were for Corman. Do you think Roger Corman? He obviously could see talent that other people could. Yeah. Do you think, do you think the, um, the film industry doesn't give Roger Corman the credit that he deserves from, from Oh, no, they do give him credit. He's got a star on the Walk of Fame. He's mm-hmm. been, he's got many lifetime achievement awards. Like he's got an Oscar. Yeah, they, they they have recognized him. It's not like they don't recognize that he's this great guy. I mean, he is great. Yeah. No, no, no. You're you know, you're absolutely right. But I mean, like now, like the you know, pe- you know the the like the new generation because you know a lot of people are like, oh, who's Roger Corman? You know, Roger Corman films. You know, like you know, kids who are younger, you know, getting into the film business. Like you know, there's another. There's another to me, it's like a, like a, a lot of lack of respect for people who've paved the way. Do you think so or? You know, for those of us on, in the business, everybody knows. You know, guys like Jack Nicholson, when nobody else would hire him, he's, you know, he did. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at Roger's resume right now, and I'm just seeing just some unbelievably great things that I didn't know about him. I didn't know, just, you know, people that work with him, they, they are the ones that, gives him the most respect. I, I, what I'm seeing is James Cameron giving him respect. I think I was like Cameron and Scorsese and Coppola, Jonathan Demme, um, just on and on and on. All these guys work with Roger Corman. Yeah. Just, uh, the, the cream of the crop all came up from Roger Corman. So if you go to IMDB, anybody who's interested in him, just put his name up there, Roger Corman, and uh, you'll see for yourself what... Uh, did, did he also did the um the the Fantastic Four that the that test footage movie? If you could, you're on IMDb now, right? Which one was that now? The the um, the, the Fantastic Four, but it did not actually get released. Yeah, yeah, it didn't get released. You know, it was bootleg. There was a lot of bootleg on on. Yeah, it was bootleg. Um, but I, the director uh, actually directed one of my films, uh, Oli Sasson, directed it, and um, it's a pretty good movie, but. You know, the guys who were coming out with the big budget, Fantastic Four, yeah. they didn't want, you know, they didn't want um, a low-budget Fantastic Four coming out. Yeah. You know, um, okay, I'm looking at this, uh, it, yeah, James Cameron's first movie was Piranha. Yeah. And actually, he didn't do the first Piranha, it says Piranha Part 2. The, yeah, the, the spawning, right? Piranha. Yeah. What's that? The Piranha 2, The Spawning, or something that was called, right? That was the title, The Spawning? Yeah, yeah, Piranha 2, The Spawning. Yeah. But I'm wondering, who directed the first Piranha? Um, yeah, but, you know, James Cameron did the second. Um, I don't even know who did the first. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I, 
I've always thought James Cameron directed the first Piranha. And I'm looking at his resume, and it does not say that. Does it say anything? Well, it does. It says he directed the Piranha 2. Oh, but no, but I'm saying for Piranha 1, it doesn't have any director's name on... Um, well, uh, I'm gonna... I just put in Piranha... I mean, I may be spelling it wrong. Uh, I may be. I think I am spelling it wrong. I love it. I'm Don the Dragon Wilson is looking up Piranha. <laughs> this well, I'm looking it up because I, I have. from Gremlins. Oh, yeah, and the Hollywood. Yeah, Go Dante yeah. directed Piranha, so uh, I guess Cameron directed Piranha 2. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know what? A friend of mine, I think, directed Piranha 3. Oh, the, 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 the 3DD, I think was that one, or just 3D? The Piranha uh, I'm not saying 3D. No, no, there was a Piranha 3, and just, uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting off on a tangent, but, but you know, now I'm stuck with this Piranha. Um, yeah. Was it, um, Alexander? One thing, Yeah, it was 3D and 3DD, I believe. I think that was the sequel. Um, Alexandra Aja, I believe, was the director of Piranha 3, right? Yeah, Alexandra Aja. Yeah, yeah. And then wasn't uh, there, a, there was a sequel 3DD. It's not Piranha 3, it's Piranha 3D. Yeah. But was there a Piranha 3? 3, I think it was a, a Piranha 3DD. So I think there was a Piranha 3, and then... <laughs> 3D after that. Yeah. Oh, man. How many piranhas can Corman make, man? I mean... I know. I think there was a cameo, too, from Richard Dreyfuss, one of the piranhas, as almost like a... as a homage to his character in Jaws. Oh, really? Yeah. That'd, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I believe so. That'd be cool. If they, you know, if they do another piranha, Don, uh, you, you would have a, a excellent cameo in it. You should definitely... Well, I, I... You know, I, I still work with Roger Corman... Um, if he gives me a good script, I'm in. Yeah. But when it comes to Rogers, it's not about, you know, not about the money, it's just yeah, the work. Yeah, yeah, it's about the... I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, it's about the respect thing, you know, like, even, you know, he gives you a script. No, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have a career without him, but nobody was starring Asians in Hollywood films. Yeah. Was it that bad? Let me, Leah, let me get into that. Was it, was it that bad? Was it, like, racial really back in that era? Like, was it really that well, bad? Well, no, I, the thing is, it's worth it just for me. I mean, black actors weren't starting in Hollywood films. Yeah. I've worked with Fred Williamson, Richard Roundtree, Steve Williams, I mean, there's on and on and on, Keith David. I've worked with many black, great character actors. And, and we, and they were not starring... If they started a movie, it was called Black Exploitation Film, and it was meant only for the black audience. Yeah. It, it, but in 1985, the door started walking 
knock it down for the black actors. And I believe Spike Lee and the black filmmakers started it. They made movies with an all-black cast in white America, middle America, Ohio. People went to see them. And once the studio saw that, see, what's impressive? If you were a green Martian, but people would go watch your movies, the studios would have started green Martians. Yeah. It's not that. They just didn't think it'd be a moneymaker. If you put a big movie out and it was all black leads, they didn't believe white people would support the movie. So they didn't make them. But once they broke down the doors, then all of a sudden you have Wesley Snipes, Will Smith, Denzel Washington, uh, Danny Glover. You have A-list black actors starring in Hollywood films. Big budget Hollywood films. And that didn't happen before 1985. You, if you look back in your history and you try to find one, did not happen. I mean, one of the big ones was Beverly Hills Cop with Eddie Murphy. Yeah. That movie was written for uh, Sylvester Sloan. He turned it down. Yeah. And then... It was originally, it was supposed to be a Sloan movie. But Eddie Murphy ended up doing it and uh, was great in it. Yeah. He made the movie. You know, and then uh, once the black actors started making money, and the doors came down. And, and it would be the same with me. Right now, the only studio films I've ever been, even looked at to be cast, I have to do a real thick Asian accent. I won't do it. Mm. And that's the reason why you won't. I, not only would I do it, but I mean, I can't do it. I'm not that kind of an actor. Mm. You know, where I could do some kind of a Chinese dialect or, you know, Japanese or whatever. Yeah. Well, so, like, you know, they just want you to be like the stereotypical, you know, accent yeah. heavy. Well, if you think about it, yeah. what actors have done studio films? Charlie Young Fat, yeah. Jackie Chan, and Jet Li. Yeah. All three of them, thick Asian accents, correct? Yes, correct. So if you're a studio executive, that's your image of what the public wants to see in an Asian actor. Yeah. They don't want one like me that's got a southern accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what the studio thinks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, Hollywood is crazy that way. But you know what I'm saying? It's just, you know, it's just funny though. Like a lot of the number one movies are, you know, like The Equalizer with Denzel Washington was pretty much number one movie. Then you have like movies like Guardians of the Galaxy. But you know, a lot of a lot of women actresses too get shafted because you know you don't see a lot of female leads besides Scarlett Johansson. You know, you don't really see a lot of those either. You know. I don't want to say it's prejudice or whatever, because right? I believe that, like I said, it's all about making money. Yeah. And once an Asian actor, like myself, half white, half Asian, uh, with a Southern accent or, or an American accent, as a Hollywood film that makes money, you watch them and watch how fast they're going to try to find a bunch just like me. That's yeah. the way they work. Yeah. Once it happens, the doors just open up and everybody wants to, you know, have their similar movie. Yeah. They want their Asian actor who can speak English in their movie. Yeah. So, and that's, that's what it's going to take. You know, with the rush hour, the last rush hour, I believe domestic gross was $200 million. Yeah. And that's Jackie Chan talking in that real thick Asian accent. Yeah. You know, and that's what they, that's how they see Asian actors in Hollywood. Yeah. I, I, I don't do that accent. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know how to do it. Yeah, you know, even even an actor, I, I'm, I don't know if you're familiar with his work, Donnie Yen. Like, he's a great actor, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. Donnie Yen, he's great. I love his stuff. Yeah, but I don't know. It's like, yeah, I guess they he tried to they tried to come to America with, like, you know, he was in the Highlander movie, so he had a little bit part in that. He had a little bit part in Blade, you know, but... You know, he English? Does he speak English? Um, a little, but, like, you know... Movies, movies I've seen, yeah. um, you know, he's, he, they subtitle him. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, his, you know, I guess he doesn't speak English. That I, I'm not really sure, you know what I'm saying? But, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, I, know, I was with Jet Li for, gosh, you know, a week and a half. He yeah. didn't say one English word the entire time. He had an interpreter right next to him. What? And I know he talks, he says English in his movies. Yeah. I think he's, he just does it phonetically. I think they just tell him what to say, and he just says it when he memorizes it long enough to do the scene, then he's done. Yeah. If you've seen the movie, Rome, yeah, if you've seen the movie Romeo Must Die, like, he really yeah, barely, yeah, he barely spoke in that movie. He spoke, but it wasn't. That like, was the movie that made him as a star, though. That, that movie was about an eight million dollar movie that grossed sixty three million at the box office. Yeah, movie. yeah, it was that was the one that made him not in China because he was already big, big hit internationally, but in America, that was the first American movie that actually made money for him. Yeah, exactly. Um, speaking of the the Romeo Must Die, have you ever worked or have you, have you ever met on Russell Wong? Because his, his his English is great, and he's a great actor as well. I worked with Russell Wong. Well, let me say this right. I, I, did, I didn't work with him. I met Russell Wong because my roommate worked with him. Oh. Uh, my roommate was Steve Lee, and Russell Wong, Wong Russell Wong and Steve Lee did a movie together, and so I I, I met Russell. Yeah. Great guy, great actor. Um, very good martial artist. You know, of course, not not a professional fighter, but yeah. you know, movie martial artist. Yeah. And, you know, I have nothing against movie martial artists. I mean, you know, there's a Keanu Reeves. He fakes it for the movies. So yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. It's entertainment. As long as they don't go around saying yeah. that they're world champions. Like Van Damme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've had a beef with him off and on for, God, for 20 years because he will occasionally talk about his fights. And he never fought. He never had a 12-round kickboxing match. That's what pros do. Now, he was a point fighter, which is amateur kickboxing, point fighting, you know. But if he wants to say that, he actually did compete uh, like that. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he should not talk about being a kickboxing champion when he knows he never had a fight. Mm -hmm. It's just wrong. Oh, I didn't even know. I, I know. Did you hear the story before? I think where Chuck Zito confronted him and knocked him out or something? I don't remember. Like, yeah, I know Chuck Zito. Chuck Zito is in um, the martial arts kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's you know, Chuck Zito's. Yeah, he's Chuck Zito's in the martial arts. But uh, here, here's where it was. It was not a fight. They did not fight. Man Dam said to one of the bouncers that Chuck Zito has no heart. Yeah. So Chuck confronted Van Dam. Said, "What are you talking about? What are you telling people I don't have any heart? What does that mean?" And then Van Dam took his glasses off. And when he took his glasses off, Chuck thought he was throwing down. You know, he's getting ready to take his glasses off and then throw a punch or a kick. So Chuck threw a punch and knocked Van Dam out. Oh, shit. So that was a whole fight. That was, it was not a give or take. It was not even a real fight. It was just Van Damme said something insulted Chuck, and then Van Damme looked like he was going to do something. Chuck didn't wait for him to throw a punch. You know, this is the street. There's no referee. There's no time limit. There's no end of rounds or any of that. Chuck is from the streets, man. If, you, if you're going to fight him, <laughs> you know, he's going to throw the first punch, and he did. And the first punch was the last punch. <laughs> I know, because I heard so many, I'm glad you, you said it clear for me, I heard so many different no, stories. That's what Chuck told me, yeah, a lot of yeah. people thought, oh, it was a fight. No, it wasn't, it was, there was no give and take fight, it was basically, you know, one punch. Yeah. Oh, my God, and one, one, another thing, on one, what do you think about Steven Seagal, you know, it's like, he has his own ways, too, like, what do you think about... Well, I think he's a nut, I think he's a cool, you know, I think he's got a mental problem. Uh, I, I, I think he's um, was a very talented traditional martial artist in Aikido. He learned his art very well, I and mean, he's accomplished his Aikido black belt, Aikido instructor. But, um, yeah, he's a total kook. Everything I hear about him, I mean, he's a very bad example. First of all, he can't, he's not a master of the knife and a fork, Bruce Lee used to say. I mean, that's the legend of it. Because he's got a 
gut. I mean, he just should, he doesn't know when to put the knife and the fork down on you. <laughs> you know, you're not natural. You know, there's a certain time when you're done eating, you put it down before your belly starts sticking out. <laughs> and um, if you remember his first fights, he was this tall, thin guy. Yeah, yeah. Now good. he just wears like it looks like a tent. Yeah, and yeah. that's a bad example for martial artists because we should be able to show um, self-discipline. Yeah, that's all it is. It's just he eats too much. I mean, it's not what you eat; it's, he's just eating too much food. Yeah, uh, you know, it's, I guess food must be really that good too. You know, it must be the you know, Hollywood. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, also, I was going to ask you, um, Don, um, has Sylvester Stallone even ever approached you to be in The Expendables? Because, you know, I, like, you know, he's getting all the... No, I, I know Sylvester Stallone, and I know his sister. She's passed away, rest in peace. Uh, yeah. I know Frank Stallone better. I mean, I've known Frank for many years. Yeah. Um, but, um, no, I, I have not been approached. I mean, you know, of course, what, what, do you think he would ask me? I'd say, no. <laughs> no, I would do anything. I'd be an extra. I do. So I, I don't care what he wants. It's just it's an asset to him. It's more fun. I, I wouldn't even do it for the money. I would just it'd just be fun to work with all those guys. Yeah, you know, it's like I'm surprised though because you know, you know, like you know, there's been talks of doing a um, Expendables movie. Well, maybe but... when they do Expendables four, you might see the dragon in there. Who knows? Yeah, definitely. You have you have. I to mean, be he's going to run out. He's going to run out of stars pretty soon. He's got everybody else in him. Yeah, for Pete. Yeah, for Pete's sake, he had Chuck Norris in in, in the Expendables too. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I was like, "Damn, what about Don the Dragon Wilson? What the hell?" You know. You know, come on, Chuck, Chuck Norris. You know, was in, was in all the canon films and the missing, you know, missing in actions and the Delta Force. You know what I mean? It wasn't, you know, like I don't know how you would consider it. Like, you know, Chuck Norris was like a mainstream actor, but like I don't, you know, like that's the thing. Like, let me ask you this. Um, like, um, I. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to how to say it like this. Like, do you consider yourself like you know? There's like the A list actors, the B list actors. What do you classify yourself as, or just you just classify yourself as an actor? You know, you know what I'm saying? Say? Like, well, yeah, well, A list means you work with studios. That's that's what the A list is. It's a yeah. studio act. Somebody who does studio release films. I don't do studio films. I do independent films, lower budget. Yeah. They used to call the lower budget films. B-movies, but they're, yeah. they're not really B-movies, because B-movies used to be like a drive-in movie theaters. You'd pay money to see the A film, but the B-movie would film would come out first, and you watch that, and then you watch the A, quote, A film. Yeah. Well, they don't even have drive-in movie theaters anymore. Yeah. You know, now you just go to a theater, you see trailers, and then your movie starts, right? Yeah. You don't watch movies, you don't pay, you don't watch a 20-minute movie or a 30-minute movie or for, you know, any shorts or anything, you just come out and watch your movie. Yeah. So the there are no B-movies anymore, although they call them B-movies, but they're really independents. I do lower-budget independent action films, and of course, they're all martial arts. Yeah. Um, when I'm an actor, I'll play anything. I don't care. I'll do, I'll do comedies. I've done, you know, like bad guys. But once in a while, I'll take an acting role, but that, they come in few and far between, you know. I don't get... People don't hire me to act. They hire me to kid people. Yeah. So you, you'll you be like Doug number one or something like that? Like, they won't have you... Like have a, like a lot of speaking roles, or you'll just be just like you know the hired like you know like the hired assassin or something. Well, I you know I don't I don't get offered even those really in the in the, in the big budget movies. I mean, I was asked one time to do a movie in um, I think they were shooting in Washington. It was called Assassins, yeah. and I was going to have a, an action scene with Antonio Banderas. I think it was Antonio Banderas and uh, Sylvester Stallone, and I, I basically passed on that. Oh, wow. I, I didn't want to do it. Yeah, I didn't want to do it. Well, you know, I mean, I was working. I was always, I was busy all the time. It doesn't look like a good role. The money was good, though. The money was real good, but 
don't know. I, I just, um, at the time, in hindsight, I, I could say, tell you right now, it was a mistake. I should have done the movie. Yeah. But, um, you know, the way I was thinking was I was going to go from B movies, independent films, to A films. Yeah. And I, I didn't need to be somebody else's bad guy. And get killed. I was going to get killed in the scene. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I'm saying, because I remember, like, even talking with my friends back in the day, like, oh, you know, he's a B-list actor because all his movies go straight to, you know, to, to videotape, you know, like, this was, like, back then. Well, they do, but, you know, yeah. uh, my first three films were theatrical, but see, you gotta realize, 90% of all the movies you see in the theaters all lose money. Yeah. They only put them in the theaters because that's the only way they get their people to watch the DVDs. Yeah. But with my movies, people, if it goes right to DVD, they all watch them. They don't care if it was in the theaters or not. They're not expecting to see him in the theaters. Yeah. But um, when it's a studio film, for some reason, people are not as, as, as avid fans. You know, if they don't, if it's not in the theaters, they don't see the trailers, they don't hear people talking about it, suggesting they watch it, they don't watch them. DVD sales will drop off. And uh, so that's why they do it. They, they release film theatrically in America. For, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but well over 50% of them purely to get them to advertise the DVD so people will watch the DVD. But with me, they found out early on, my films go direct to video, people watch them anyway. They don't need to see advertisement. They just see the DVD box and say, oh, I'll, I'll take that one. Yeah, yeah, that, that, oh. yeah that, that is true, because, like, you know, I'm saying, like, like I, I remember, like, it was easy for me to watch the majority of your films as opposed to being a kid and begging mom and dad to go to the movie theaters to see a Sylvester Stallone movie. But, you know, I've seen, I can say I've seen more Don the Dragon Wilson movies than I've seen, um, uh, I guess, uh, Wesley Snipes film, you know, like, you know. Probably oh, two well, I did a lot more movies, I know that. I did more of them, but, yeah. um, you yeah. know, the, the quality, like I said, if, if you're, it's the story and the fight scenes. We, we try to make sure the fight scenes are good. And I, I always want a good story. And then, of course, you know, I, every time I do a movie, it's a different director, so I'm not casting every character. Some of the actors are stronger than some of the other ones. But but I I think most of the directors I've worked with, I, I gotta say, most of them have been pretty competent, pretty good directors. Yeah. You know, um, which, besides, I, I guess, you know, um, I guess I already answered my own question, but which is your favorite director to work with? You know, I... I cannot say. There are um, a lot of good directors I've worked with. Yeah. But, you know, I, I don't want to name names, but they're, 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 all, they're all good in their own way. Yeah, it's just different styles. Everybody has their own way of doing things, right, basically? Yeah, they have their own style, and you respect that. You know, it, it, it is not a um, subjective uh, thing we're doing. It, it, it's very objective. It's subjective. It's a it's, uh, creative form basically you know the director sees the film in his head and he goes out and he tries to get the performance and 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 capture the image that he wants you know and then they they, they make the movies in the editing rooms but they got to get get in the editing room with, with as much footage that tells the story the way they see the story because you know it's a, it's, a, it's a perspective it's a point of view and everybody's going to see it differently you know i work with one director he could direct the exact same script same actors it would look like a totally different movie so the director's kept the ship when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, the movie industry. It's not the actors. We do what they were told. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You're right about that. Um, 
Also, um, I know you was in the UFC, the commentating for a little bit, um, and then you went to King of the Cage. Um, what happened there from you leaving the UFC? Um, you mean when I when I was announcing that? No, yeah, yeah. Now remember, the UFC when it first started, uh, they contacted me about coming to watch it, and, and I thought it was too dangerous. I didn't want to go because when I heard there was no weight division. Yeah, no, yeah, uh, yeah. I remember reading that. Time yeah. limit. It just sounded like street fights, and I'm afraid people would to get killed. I'll be sitting there watching it, and I don't know. I I, I, I did not go to the first two UFCs. Finally, the third UFC, they got me to go to it. When I went to it, I saw how safe it was. Yeah. Because look. If a guy starts hitting you, you just quit. Yeah. You just quit. And nobody moves. They don't move when you quit. That's called, well, he submitted them. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? In the fight game that I come from, kickboxing, that's called quit. <laughs> and there is no quitting. You don't quit. Yeah. You fight 12 rounds. You just get paid to you. fight 12 rounds. Now, if your core throws in the towel, that's something out of your control. Yeah. But you don't get hit hard and just say, oh, you know, time out. I quit. Fighters don't do that. They you know, Duran did it one time because he got stomach cramps and he got, even Duran got booed. Yeah. But uh, the UFC, I saw it was safe. So I said, well, what the heck? I want to fight Gracie. He's the one who's winning these things. And um, uh, I told them I'd fight Gracie. And they said, look, come on as an announcer. Announce a few fights. And, and after our audience knows you, we'll, we'll get you to fight with Gracie. And I said, okay. I said, all I want is 20% of the gross. Yeah. At that time, they were bringing in about $4 million per show. So 20% of that is 800 grand. That's not bad, right? No, not bad at all. Because if Boyce Gracie beats you, he doesn't punch you, he submits you. Yeah. Hits you in a wrist lock, choke hold, ankle lock. I mean, he's just going to, that's all. So on our feet, I got a good chance of knocking him out. We go to the ground, I try to stall, try to survive, but he'll probably beat me in the ground. You know, 90% of the time he's going to beat me. But on our feet, shoot, man, I'm going to decapitate him if he gets anywhere near me. <laughs> But it never happened, you know, they, they, they did not promote the fight and I ended up quitting being their announcer because, you know, I could see they didn't really want me to fight. Why would they want to give me 20% of the gross when they had eight guys fight for 50 grand? Yeah. Think about it. <laughs> and I'm going to get 20% of the gross. Yeah. Well, they didn't like that. Well, so then from there, you just went to the king of the cage, right? How was, for the time they, he was there, they, how no, was they, they, they offered me the job as an announcer and then we talked about fighting and they wanted me to fight, sign a three fight deal and I, didn't, I don't want to do three fights I'll just, I said just give me your champion I'll just fight him once <laughs> they wanted three fights yeah. so I think they were thinking about building it up or something yeah. I don't believe it needed to build up though I think when you say former world kickboxing champion actor Don Wilson's going to fight king of the cage champion you know yeah. at, at 170 I think that's Matt Hughes' weight division because yeah. Dana White's offered me fights with Matt Hughes before which I've said yeah so then you know, Dana, the reason why I know he likes to work with Dana is he, he's an asshole I've been in the fight business for 28 years. When you say something, be a man of your word. Do what you say. Yeah. He says one thing. When the contract comes in, the numbers are all different. Yeah. But you know what? That's, that's insulting. It's disrespectful. Yeah. That's why Chuck Liddell and Randy Couture and all those guys, that's why they don't, they don't like them. And that's why they tried to leave them. And I, I don't know. You know, it's just, um, he's not a good people person. He seems like a really tough dude, though, like, you know, like, behind the scenes, I don't know. Well, he's got the, you know, he's the kingpin right now of MMA. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you need to abuse people, right? I yeah, mean, no, you no. really, you should be, he's in the position, he can be the most gracious, gracious, broad, or most man of his word in the history of the fight game. Yeah. But instead, he's probably worse than Don King. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, I don't know about that. Don King has done a lot of. <laughs> no, listen. Don King used to get guys big salaries and probably pocket a lot of their money. But yeah. you know, but what Dana White does is he doesn't give you the big salary. Yeah. These guys are grossing forty million on the show. Let me show you. Let me tell you how the numbers work in boxing, and then you can look at UFC and you see the difference. Okay. In boxing, Holyfield's going to fight Tyson. Yeah. They're going to get two million buys, forty-five dollars each. That's ninety million dollars. Mm-hmm. Don King takes that thirty million. Holyfield takes thirty million, and Tyson gets thirty million. Mm-hmm. That's how they split. Now the UFC, they're going to get forty million on the show. Main event, say Machida and Randy Couture. Randy Couture is going to get two hundred grand. Machida's going to get two hundred grand. See the difference? They're going to gross forty yeah. million. Fighters are going to get two hundred grand. Yeah. Whereas they're going to gross ninety million with Tyson and Holyfield, and Tyson and Holyfield get thirty million each. Don King gets 30. In other words, it's split three ways. Yeah. But and so that's the difference for the UFC. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, their, their champions are making it in the hundreds of thousands. Mm-hmm. And it's just good money for a fighter, right? It's good money. Yeah. But it's not the kind of money boxers wouldn't spit on the floor for that money. Yeah. You go to somebody like Sugar Ray Leonard in his prime, he's making eight million a fight, and you say, look, I'll give you 200 grand for this fight. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. He's making eight million. Fight Duran. Yeah, I'm saying you feel. How do you feel? You feel like boxing has changed as opposed to UFC. Do you feel like boxing has lost its popularity a little bit with like the lack of heavyweights in the heavyweight division? No, I don't think it's no, not at all. I I, I don't. We got to look at what's happening in the 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 business, right? Like even kickboxing. Kickboxing had a much bigger audience than UFC ever even dreamed of having originally, but there were no boxes on everybody's TV set where people would pay to watch it. It was on ESPN for free. Yeah. A, matter of fact, they had a show every week. They had a kickboxing show on every week on ESPN. Do they have the UFC on every single week on ESPN? No. Nope. No. They had a thing called the Ultimate Fighter or something, you know, where they would show yeah. the fighters. It was like a reality show, basically a reality show. It wasn't like UFC championships on every night. It was a reality show of some kind. Yeah. I mean, I never watched it, but I know that built up their fighters, and then when they had fights, it built up the UFC. Yeah. But it was the cable boxes with the pay pay on demand. Yeah. That's what changed the sport. You, you look, remember now, I'm telling you, they're, they're making um, like forty million on a show. Yeah. Well, what happens is some guy picks his house, he has a party, he invites a bunch of friends to come over and watch it. He has the UFC on, he pays forty bucks, and they got a bunch of guys watching it. So they'll sell, let's say, at $45 or $40, they'll sell 2 million buys. So 2 million people pay for it, but that's $90 million. Hmm. You know, right. And, and that, then they have, um, you know, groups of people watching it. I mean, there's, there's more than one person watching it. But it's still not, the network TV would not be considered a hit unless there's 20 million viewers. Yeah. Do you think there's 20 million people paying 45 bucks to watch the UFC? Mm-hmm. No, there's no 20 million viewers. It is a popular fight sport for a small percentage of the sports fans. Small percentage, a couple million people. But they're loyal, they're verbal, they're, um, you know, uh, they're supportive of the thing, right? They they buy t-shirts and they promote them and they talk about them. And, you know, they're they're avid fans. They would be like championship wrestling fans. I think that's what UFC did was they took championship wrestling kind of uh, promotion and turned it into a real sport. Mm-hmm. 
strength sport too, by the way. You know, they got less brain damage in the UFC than they do in boxing and kickboxing. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the tragedy of uh, the fight game is the brain damage. Yeah, you know, and people think UFC is more dangerous than boxing, but it's the other way around. When you're getting hit, oh, way way the other way around. Listen, the UFC you can win many different ways than by knockout. Mm -hmm. Boxing you you can win by points or knockout. Right? I mean, but the UFC, you can just grab the guy's wrist, you can get a, a chokehold, you can ankle locks. I mean, you don't have to knock him unconscious. And the other thing is, as soon as the guy's stunned in the UFC, they dive in there, the fight's over. There's no standing eight count, right? Yeah, no. You know, you don't stand in eight, let him recover, and then let him take more brain damage. Boxing is much more dangerous because of the brain damage. Then kickboxing is dangerous because we kick each other's legs. And you've seen some bad injuries in the UFC. Guys get their legs broken. That's common in kickboxing. Not, not common, but it does happen. Yeah. I don't want to say every every other fight card is broken legs. But uh, leg injuries, toe injuries, ankle injuries, bones, you know, do break in kickboxing when you're kicking people's legs. Yeah. And um, uh, so I would say UFC is overall safer than the other sports. Yeah. You can just grab a guy and uh, get a chokehold and he gets right out. You don't have to knock him unconscious. Yeah, that, that, I'm saying that's absolutely true. I, I like the sport. I like the sport because it's, it's good for the fighters. Yeah, it's good. You know, and you know, the popularity is growing too. You know, it's 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 getting up there. You know, but you know, I think I don't know. I, I still think boxing is a little bit more popular because it's more accessible to watch. But you know, UFC has a strong following as of right now, I believe. Yeah, yeah, they do. I mean, they they got Spike TV. Yeah. You know, uh, remember one of the reasons why it's um, friendly for TV and friendly for um, promoters and, and and people like Dana White is the fighters are not making... <laughs> I remember once, I saw an article from Karate Magazine, boxing is dead. Boxing is dead. The UFC champion, you know, Randy Couture and all these guys, they're making like $200,000, $300,000. That year, the boxing quote was dead. Oscar De La Hoya got paid $51 million for one fight. $51 million. <laughs> so, you know, it depends on what your definition of dead is. You know, if, if, if Oscar De La Hoya... Well, he basically, he got rid of Bob Arum. He promoted himself. Yeah. And uh, he lost the fight. I think it was with Merriweather. But, but anyway, he has one fight. He makes $50 million. Yeah. I mean, you could take every UFC fighter that's ever fought since the sport started in the 90s, and it will not total $50 million. So when you're saying the sport is doing great, it's growing, it's the fastest growing sport, it's, it's all these wonderful things, but obviously it's not doing that much wonderful things to... The actual fighters. Yeah, exactly. The ones who are if you can take them. every single one of them and they don't total up their fight purses, don't total the fight purse of one fighter one night in boxing. Yeah. Something's wrong if, that, if that's true. If, if the sport is growing leaps and bounds and the fighters are still not making any money. Look, if, if the deal would have gone down with, with me and uh, uh, the original UFC and I already got the 20% yeah. and all they got was $4 million gross, the twenty percent would have been eight hundred thousand. That would have been bigger than any fight purse of any UFC guy to this day. Wow. It would have happened in the nineties. So that's not fair with a smaller audience. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, um, it depends on how you look at the sport. If you look at the sport through Dana White's eyes, yeah, it's never done better because they consistently can people are paying and you know regularly watching it on Spike TV and. Uh, live audiences all over, you know, it's not just UFC, they've got a lot of 
I go to fights all the time. You know, they got a lot of uh, MMA fights all over. A lot of them are amateurs, so they don't have to pay the fighters. But it's all over the world, basically. Yeah. So it's a sport where jujitsu guys and judo guys and wrestlers can actually survive. Because if you take those guys, you stick any of them in the ring with me and try to get them to go 12 rounds, it's, it'd be a joke. Mm. I'd line up like 10 of them. Knock them all right <laughs> off. Boom, 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 boom. No, if there's no grappling. Yeah. Uh, like, nothing is wrestlers. I was a wrestler. I respect wrestling. But if you get a wrestler in with a kickboxer, they can't grab. They can't, he's got a punching kick. Well, what you were saying, I think you had something about boxing. At one time, you know, the UFC guys and stuff, they're getting better with their hands. But you take, like, Matt Hughes, and you put him in the ring with Roy Jones at Roy's prime, and all they're going to do is box. What do you think is going to happen? Mm -hmm. it's gonna I mean, it's, just, yeah. it's, just, it's, just, it's such a mismatch. It's like, you know, Roy's going to probably throw you. You could just say, Roy, you're only allowed to throw six punches. He'll knock him out within six punches. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just a joke. The level of striking ability, and, and, and it's not because they, they couldn't learn, because they could. If you put them in and they started training like kickboxers only in punching and kicking, or like boxers only in punching, they would improve. But the sport allows you to grab them, take them to the ground, and it's a different thing. Then the boxers that, I think, uh, gosh, it was like very short when uh, Randy Tour took down uh, James Tony. Yeah. Tony's tap right out. I mean, when you're on the ground, there's no boxing, right? Mm-hmm. So you got a, a guy who doesn't know what the heck he's doing on the ground against a guy who's had, like, you know, <laughs> 350 roughing matches. Yeah. Randy Couture could have tied him into a pretzel. Yeah, it was a total mismatch. <laughs> it was a total yeah, a total mismatch. Because, but, but, you know, in James Tony's defense, I, I know he got paid a decent salary. Yeah. You know, the numbers they throw around was like 500 grand. Yeah. And... It's a free brain damage. You can pick up a half a million dollars and not get punched once in the head if you're a boxer. You just made some easy money. Yeah, you're absolutely right. About so, that. You know, you're not going to fight at the level of boxing that he is, you know, world class level, and not get punched in the head. Yeah. Even if you win, I'm saying you're going to take some shots. But uh, I don't think Randy Couture even threw a punch, right? I, I think he just grabbed him and just sort of choked him. Yeah, and that was it. <laughs> That's what it was like. Yeah, that was, that was it. Eventually, <laughs> he got to him. Yeah. And he took his time, too, you know, because once Randy was on the ground, he, he, was, he was home, you know. Yeah. He could just slowly inch his way up. And that's what Gracie used to do. He got on the ground, and then he just slowly inched his way, a little bit of a wiggling, and he just chokes him right out. It was, it, I'm saying it was good, but it was sort of disappointing because, you know, you expected more. He was like, that's it? You know, nothing else? You know? Well, I don't know. You know, if Randy was stupid and he tried to duke it out with him, you would have seen more. You would have yeah. seen him get knocked out. Yeah. Well, you know, they're, they're, okay, here's an example. Now, I don't know if you can find this on YouTube now, but uh, this guy knocked, or, or not knocked out, but he beat Randy Couture. He's a UFC champion. Mm. He's going to fight Mike Mercer. Now, Mercer is... 48 years old, he couldn't get a boxing license, but they let him do this MMA. So, first round, Mercer throws one punch and knocks him out. Tim Sylvia, I think is his name. Yeah. But he was a UFC champion. He got knocked out in the first 10 seconds with one punch. Now, I don't know if you watch boxing, but you can watch a thousand boxing matches and you will not see a guy knocked out with one punch. It never happens. Every boxer is going to bob and weave a little bit or at least keep their hands up or keep their chin down. The first punch doesn't knock them out. This is a rare thing, but, but 
for him, he's the, they, they said he's the UFC champion, beat the legendary Randy Couture. Now he's going to prove that, you know, these boxers can't go with him anymore. The boxing is done and he can go with this boxer. And Mercer threw one punch and knocked him out. I mean, that's pretty embarrassing. I mean, can you imagine uh, Ali fighting Frazier and Frazier throws one punch and knocks Ali out? Yeah. It, it, it doesn't happen. Professionals don't, you know. Um, it, it, it was only because I, I, my, my gut feeling is he probably wanted to try to duke it out with him. You know, he was trying to prove a point, maybe. And that's stupid. Because you, you're not going to outbox a boxer. But, you know, he should have uh, done what Randy did, just shot for a takedown immediately. But, you know. Yeah, I know UFC is just... I was saying, yeah, no, you're absolutely right about that because there's so many fighters out there, and I don't, I don't know if any of the fighters complain about the purse, but you know, there's not like there's any other alternative to go to because UFC is only is the only MMA in the game pretty much right now. You have Bellator there, but I don't know if they're making any strides. Um, I don't know if there's any competition for UFC, so I don't even know what's going on with that. You know? Well, I think Bellator's on uh, Spike TV, though, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they're on Spike TV. Yeah. Well. Spike TV is, um, yeah, you can see it on YouTube. You just go right to YouTube, you go, Tim Sylvia versus Ray Mercer. And, uh, you know, you're not going to see much because um, they, they kind of square off and then Mercer throws one punch. It, it, it was about a three-second fight. Yeah. You knock him out in three seconds with one punch. Yeah. I think, I, I now, think I'm definitely going to look that up on YouTube when I take it a chance. Yeah, yeah, I just, I just saw it right now. I just was going to see if it was still up. And, uh, yeah, the, the, it, um, the whole thing's like 12 seconds. But that's, that's like three times as long as the fight. Because the, when the bell rings, he throws one punch and Tim Sylvia goes right up. Oh, like a boom. Um, yeah. Also, what, what do you think about the whole Strike Force situation? With the whole Kimbo Slice fight? I don't know fight? much about it, but I know Strike Force used to, you know, pro kickboxing, and now they're doing MMA, and they still might do some kickboxing. I don't really know. Don't really know what, what's going on with them. I mean, I, I know Kung Fu, Kung Lee was their big yeah. draw back uh, you know, years ago. Yeah, but remember they had they had the thing on Channel Two, and then that's when Kimbo Slice got exposed, and you know there was you know they were trying to like really protect. Well, I was trying him. to fight Kimbo Slice. But saw him, you know, he was the guy. He, so he, right when he came off of YouTube, he fought on an Indian reservation in yeah. Florida, and I I literally talked to the um, the head of the athletic commission, the doctor, and I said, listen, will you give me a license there? He goes, look, Don, if you come here, you pass all the tests, you will get a license, you can fight. And I said, you, will you let me fight somebody out of my way today? I mean, you know, I want to fight this big guy, I want to fight this, and they, they, they did not say no, but, it, but you know, if you look at him, you think, oh my God, you know, he's just huge, but where I'm going to hit him, there's no muscle, I'm going to hit him right on the chin, and I'm not going to be able to miss, because <laughs> he brings his chin right to you. But, um, but yeah, he ended up fighting some guy and getting knocked right out. You know, he somebody hit him. Uh, I don't know, Kimbo Slice, he got knocked right out. Yeah. I don't know how he's been doing with his career, but uh, right after that, I think he was going to fight uh, Frank, Sh no, Ken Shamrock. Yeah. Shamrock couldn't make it for one right, whatever, whatever reason. They got a substitute guy. Yeah. Substitute guy just knocked him right out. Yeah, I think it was Seth Petroselli or something like that. Yeah. Kimbo reminds me of Bob Sapp. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of hype, but not, you know, not yeah. real. This is skill. He's not going to, you know, win a lot of fights yeah. against yeah. high-ranking fighters. 
Yeah, I think that's the best comparison you could pair because Bob Sapp and it's almost like they're both intimidating, but oh. they both got glass jaws for chandelier. They have chandelier jaws, you know. So. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not saying Kimball couldn't hurt you if he hit you, man. If he hit you, he yeah. hurt you. And same with Bob Sapp. Bob Sapp knocked out. Um, oh man, uh, who was the guy? Um, uh, really good, good champion. He won several times. Won the K1. Um, uh, Ernest Lahoust. Okay. I don't know if you know Ernest Lahoust, but he was a key one champion, and Bob Sapp did knock him out. So um, it's not like he doesn't have the ability to knock somebody out. He hits him. But, um, so, um, you know, Bob Sapp, you know, Bob Sapp, you know, he's also done professional wrestling too, so it's just, he has a very, you know, a very eclectic I career. I, I think, uh, Ken Shamrock did some pro wrestling. Yeah, yeah, he did that as well, as well. No, it's a show, it's a show. If you're, if you're an athlete, you, you can do that, you know. Uh, I thought nothing against it, people do it. It's, it's not a sport, though, you know, that, that, I mean, it's not a real up and up sport. It's a, it's a show, it, but it's a tough show. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to do that. Yeah. Oh, I'm, um, I, know, I, um, I know you was on Roddy Piper's podcast. Um, what, what film did you work with him, and how was he on, on set? Uh, it was called Terminal Rush. Terminal Rush, okay. Shot in Toronto, yeah, you can yeah, you go online, you can, you can, YouTube's got a lot of my movies, you can actually watch the full movies for free. Yeah. But, um, you can also find the trailers for all those movies, They're, all their trailers are up there on YouTube. Yeah. But how was it working with him? He was, he was a good, he was a good actor? He was oh, he was great. He was great. Because, you know, he's, he's like a professional stuntman. I mean, that, that's what, like, like I said, that's what they're doing. They're doing stunts, live stunts. Yeah. Special wrestlers. So our fight scene, um, you know, dude, he was great. Did a great job. Yeah, I don't know. He was, he was, he was good in that. I think, I think he was good in that movie. I, like, I saw bits and pieces of it. I didn't really see the whole movie, you know, all the way. But you know, I think you know Piper at his peak was in They Live. That was probably one of his, his best films. You know, with um, John Carpenter, it was really good. You know. Well, uh, you know what? It's been great talking to you. Yeah. But um, you know, and we went for. Quite a while, quite a while, but, uh, you know, I got this little, little guy over here, I better make sure he's okay, I'm going to sleep. No, not a problem, um, is anything you want to plug? I enjoyed it, I enjoyed it, and and as soon as you've got a a way that I can put it up, I'll I'll put it up on my sites too, and send it out a a little bit. Yeah, definitely, is there anything you want to plug before you go, anything that's coming up? Well, I've got White, White Tigers coming out next year. Okay. No, it's it's actually going to be, they're going to be selling it in November, but it'll be out, released next year, and then, um. The more sort kid moving next year, and then I will film Blood Raid uh, as soon as we get the final script. You know, we're gonna the second script right now. Okay, so. well, as, as soon as you have Blood Raid um, down the hatch, I definitely would like to have a follow up interview with you about that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'd love to, love to plug it as soon as it's finished. All right, Don the Dragon Wilson, thank you for being on the podcast, and have a good night. Thank you. Good night. All right, good night. Bye bye.